Welcome to the audio podcast of the sermons from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. For more information on First Reformed, go to edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page. We are quite familiar with the idea of the Sabbath because it is something that is baked right into the very beginning of our Bibles. Even if you have only began to read the Bible and only gotten through the first few chapters, you come to the idea of rest on the Sabbath. It's right there in the created order. God created everything in six days, and then he rested on the seventh. But we find this idea of the Sabbath not only in the created the creation story, but we also see it in the Ten Commandments. We are to take a day of rest. The day of rest is the Sabbath, and it's the fourth commandment. But what does the fourth commandment do? It connects this idea back to the creation story. But also, the Sabbath was a big part of the rituals of the Hebrew people. They did many things around the Sabbath. It was a day of worship. It was set apart for rest. It was a very important part of the Old Covenant. And by the time that Jesus took on human flesh and came to earth, many additions to the law had come about regarding the keeping of the Sabbath. Now, as I've mentioned, as we've been talking about uh, the Pharisees in the past few weeks, we know that the Pharisees, they had, they had a good goal. Yes, they're, they're the enemies of Jesus in the Gospels, and yes, they're sort of the foil in the story, but their ultimate goal was to return people to God's law. They were well-intentioned. They just took it too far. Well, this desiring to keep the law really manifested itself in the laws that they had built into Sabbath-keeping because they had made laws that would help you to keep the law. Now, I know many of us have memories of either parents or grandparents doing particular tasks on Saturday so they would not have to do them on Sunday. Now, the example that I always hear and and know that many people here have shared with me that their parents or grandparents did was that they would peel potatoes for Sunday dinner on Saturday night. While the people that we know who who did this, I'm sure they were pretty strict about doing this. My guess is that nobody would have probably called not peeling a potato on Saturday a sin. Now imagine, imagine that this is considered to be a sin in and of itself, something that is not inherently sinful But now we make it a rule where it's now considered a sin. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And so, imagine if I told you that someone didn't peel a potato on Saturday. And you went and told them that they were a sinner. And they needed to repent. That's the level to which the Pharisees had taken the law in the time of Jesus. Now, I know my idea here is far-fetched and and a little silly, but I think you can understand that I'm trying to convey the extreme, extreme nature to which the Pharisees had taken this idea of keeping the Sabbath. You see, the Sabbath was intended to provide rest for God's creatures. And the point of 
of the coming Sabbath rest was that this was about something bigger. When they talked about the Sabbath in the Old Covenant, it wasn't just about keeping that day. It was pointing to a day in the future where there would be a Sabbath rest for the people of God, a day where the Messiah came and brought ultimate rest in his salvation, where the people of God would dwell with God. The Sabbath was more than that. It wasn't about keeping of rules, the keeping of rules. It wasn't about making sure we didn't sin. It was about something bigger. It was not meant to be a law that the Pharisees could expand upon and that they would have to be kept so rigidly that you couldn't feed your family or care for someone who was in need. Again, it was about the rest that our bodies needed, but it was also about the rest that the people of God were looking for, a rest that they would have in the presence of God. Now, our time in the book of Luke the last few weeks has found us looking at these encounters that Jesus is having with the Pharisees. And as we saw when we read our passage for this morning, we we found these interactions continuing. Because once again, we find that Jesus is more than up to the task of dealing with the, the legalism of these Pharisees who are continually after him. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to take the two main parts of this story and break it into two points today. And we're going to see these things as we navigate through the story. The first section that we're going to look at shows us that Jesus defends the actions of his disciples as they're acquiring food on the Sabbath. The Pharisees see the disciples plucking a few heads of grain on the Sabbath, and they think this is a violation of the fourth commandment. But what does Jesus do? Jesus goes back to a story from the Old Testament to defend what his disciples did. And secondly, we find Jesus defending his own actions for doing good to others on the Sabbath. You see, the Pharisees just can't leave Jesus alone. And so he goes right at them by healing someone on the Sabbath. Because he not only knows his, his power in the, in the healing of this man with a withered hand is going to cause them to question things, but he also wants to show them that the intent of the Sabbath was not about a law to be kept, but about serving others to, to remember the mercy of God and about bringing glory to God. That was the intent of the Sabbath, not keeping a law to keep a law. And so we land in this first Sabbath encounter here as we look at verses 1 through 5 of Luke 6. Now before we begin, I want to call you back to what I've been saying about the way Luke is telling us the story of Jesus here in his gospel. We've We've seen a few interactions that Jesus has had with the Pharisees. They got upset with Jesus for telling the paralytic that his sins are forgiven. And then Jesus showed his power and his divine nature by telling this man to rise and walk. And Jesus faced criticism also for, for hanging out with sinners. And as I said a few moments ago, this section of Luke is a lot of back and forth between the accusations of the Pharisees and then Jesus responding. So I've mentioned before that the way that Luke is telling the story here is not meant to give us the impression that this is all happening in a sequence of events, that 
this, this happened on a Monday and then Tuesday and then Wednesday. This isn't necessarily sequential. He is going to different stories in the life of Jesus to draw out what is happening and to draw out for us who Jesus is. He's putting these stories together to show us what Jesus has come to do, that he's come to do a new thing. And now he is showing that the extreme legalism of the Pharisees is not in line with what the law of God actually calls the people of God to do. That's what Luke wants us to see here. And you can actually see my point as we start out with the first verse here in Luke 6. Because he says, and this happened on a Sabbath. It isn't a few days later that Luke tells us this happened. It happens on a Sabbath. Luke is making a point about the Pharisees. And he brings in this story to help us better understand Jesus and his teaching. And he shows us here, by this happening on a Sabbath, that the Pharisees are relentless. It wasn't that they were around on Wednesday and didn't what he was like he was doing on Wednesday, and so they followed him to the very following Saturday to sit and listen to see what he was doing. They were after him all the time. So what are the Pharisees getting so worked up about? Now in the past... I would look at this story, and I would read this story about what the Pharisees are getting so upset about, and honestly, I would be a little confused. Maybe you have been too. Maybe your thought process worked a little bit like mine here, and you weren't so concerned about the the Sabbath breaking, but you wondered why the Pharisees aren't going after the disciples of Jesus for stealing food. To me, that seemed like the bigger deal. They were taking food from someone's field. They're just walking along and plucking grains of wheat as they saw fit. Well, the reason the Pharisees don't go after the disciples for that is because in the law, in the Old Covenant, there was an allowance, actually, for people plucking the grain on the edge of the field. In Leviticus, people were told not to harvest all the way to the edge of their fields because it would allow for people who were in need to get food from it. And then in Deuteronomy, it said that you could go to these edges if you were in need, and you could pluck grain to eat, but you could not put a sickle to it and harvest it fully. And so you can understand what God was doing in the law there. It was a way to provide for those in need, and even those who might be traveling. Remember, they can't just stop off and get something from the dollar menu at a fast food joint, right? And notice the wisdom that God had in these laws. You couldn't take advantage of your neighbor and just run out and harvest his grain because he didn't harvest it on the edge of the fields. No, you could not. You could pluck it, but you could not put a sickle to it. And so the law allowed for hospitality and for charity and to help people, but it kept people from abusing the system. And so what we see here is that the disciples are actually taking advantage of this provision in the law. They're not stealing the grain of their neighbor. And so the Pharisees have to find something else to get upset about. And notice the detail that Luke gives here about what the disciples are doing. They they pluck some of the heads of grain and they rub them in their hands. Now that seems pretty harmless to you and I, but the Pharisees are accusing the disciples of harvesting on the Sabbath. Now I don't know about you, but I don't know how this is different than if the disciples were in their home and they put a utensil into a piece of meat and, and brought it to their mouth on the Sabbath. How, how is this any different? 
I mean, if I was in your garden and you gave me permission to pluck a strawberry and eat it, would you think, huh, that guy was harvesting? No, you would say that he was just simply eating, bringing food to his mouth. But as we have seen in the Gospel of Luke, the Pharisees are always looking for an opportunity to get at Jesus, to get anything on him or his disciples. But they also find this very easy to do because they've come up with their own little system of laws to avoid breaking the law. And this example here shows us an excellent example of how far the Pharisees have gone in their legalism. And so you have to love what Jesus does in response. Because you and I, I'm guessing you and I, could come up with some pretty good responses to the Pharisees here, couldn't we? We could tell them what was up. Everything from, come on, man, to knock it off. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuff in between that we could come up with, right? But Jesus goes back to a story that they would have known from the Old Testament. He uses what they claim to be following strictly against them. And he shows them that not only is it important to care for those who need food, but also to show the authority that the Lord's anointed has. So if you and I were to go to 1 Samuel 21, you would find that David and his men are in need of food. That's the story Jesus is talking about here. And so they go into the temple, and there's nothing there except the bread of the presence. Now this was, this was only to be touched by the priests, but it was given to these men of David as food because they were in need of it. And as I said, this isn't about just giving bread to people who were hungry. Remember who David is. David is the anointed of the Lord. David is a type and a shadow of the one who is to come in the Messiah. And so David receives the blessing of this food as the one appointed by God to rule over his people. He receives it, and the priest makes this decision to give him the food. Why? Because he believes, even though this bread is set apart, he has a higher duty to care for others and to meet their needs. He has a higher duty to serve the anointed of God, David. And so the ceremonial activity that the bread was used for, the rituals that were done there in the temple, those were not as important as caring for other people. It wasn't as important as serving God's anointed. It wasn't as important as serving and giving food to those who were in need. And so what do you do with this response from Jesus if you're one of the Pharisees? What do you do with this? Do you say that the greatest king in the history of Israel was wrong for asking for that bread? Do you say that the priest was wrong in giving the bread to the anointed one of Israel? Yeah, Jesus won. Jesus has them tongue-tied. And it's easy to see how Jesus did this. If David could eat the set-apart, consecrated bread in the temple on the Sabbath, then his disciples, his disciples could surely have a little bit of grain at the edge of a field. And remember, they weren't violating any law to do this. They were violating the man-made laws of the Pharisees designed to keep people from breaking the law. And so Jesus has won. And he could have stopped there and walked off and relished in the victory. But we see that he takes it even further. He makes an important phrase. He, he uses this as 
an opportunity to once again tell them and us who he actually is. And you can see it there in the last statement of Jesus in our, in our bunch of verses that we're looking at here. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now remember what I've mentioned before. When Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man, he's not saying that he's someone's son. The title, Son of Man, is a messianic term from the Old Testament. He is claiming to be the Messiah by using this title. And then notice what else he says about himself. He says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so once again, we find Jesus making a very controversial statement. Now we're used to this idea because we confess Jesus as Lord. We confess him as God the Son. Imagine you are a first century Jew and you hear someone make this statement because who is the Lord of the Sabbath? Well, only God can be the Lord of the Sabbath. And so once again, we find another example of Jesus claiming divine authority. Now, in our time in God's Word together, I've pointed out many times that there are those who claim that Jesus never asserted that he was God. You'll hear that all the time. Well, here we have another example of Jesus doing just that. He is asserting divine authority. He is asserting that he is God. Because who other than God can be the Lord of the Sabbath. And so what does he mean here? Well, ultimately, the Sabbath is not about law-keeping. Taking a day of rest is not about a rule that will either condemn you or merit righteousness for you. The Sabbath was to provide rest for the people of God and to set apart a day to bring worship to the Lord of heaven and earth. As great as keeping the commands of God are and as great as the rest that were provided in the Sabbath is, Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And we should be more concerned with bringing honor and glory to him than with keeping the rule. We should be be coming to worship God. We should have hearts that worship God. We should have hearts that have mercy on others because God has first shown us mercy in Christ. And so we've seen the response that Jesus has to these accusations against his disciples. And so we're going to move on to another accusation that Jesus has against him as we look at verses 6 through 11. And we see that Jesus here is in the synagogue on another Sabbath, and he's doing what he does. He's teaching. We've seen this so many times so far in Luke that this is the primary activity of Jesus. But this time, we're hearing about someone else. We're learning about somebody who's in the crowd with them. There's a man whose right hand is withered. Now, if you were to stop at that sentence, you might wonder why Luke gives us that detail. But we quickly are brought into why this is so important for Luke to tell us. It would seem that the Pharisees have gotten indications that Jesus has healed on the Sabbath in the past. And so, They haven't come to worship God. They haven't come to hear the word proclaimed. They've come to catch Jesus being naughty in their minds. That's why they are there. Now, I read that, and I stop, and I think about it, and I wonder, how do you get to that point? How do you get to that point where you're so concerned with someone else that you, go to wor- in, that you go to the worship of God, you go to the synagogue, and you hear the word of God, but all you have is malice 
in your heart so bad you can't see your own hypocrisy? How do you get to that point? But we know that this was the aggression the Pharisees had toward Jesus. They had malevolence and anger towards him. They were not going to hear the word as it was read and as it was proclaimed. And to steal an expression from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what we talk about when you are looking for the speck in someone else's eye, but you got a log in your own, right? That's what's going on here. So we see that Jesus knows these malevolent thoughts that they have towards him, and he, he tells the man with the withered hand to come and stand near him. And as always, Jesus asks the right questions, doesn't he? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? Now, I had to stop as I was preparing, and I had to look at that sentence a minute and slow down. What's Jesus asking here? Is it lawful to do good or to harm? Uh, Jesus, would it ever be lawful to do harm? No. When would it ever be lawful to destroy life? So as I say that, if, if you were asking the same question as me when you read it, I bet it dawned on you as well. Jesus is implying that not doing good on the Sabbath would be to harm. By not saving life on the Sabbath would be to functionally destroy life. To not do the good is to do evil. So you get what Jesus is saying. How could healing someone on the Sabbath be violating the Sabbath? And that's exactly the point that he's making. Jesus wants to expose the hearts of the Pharisees, and he does it so well. They are more concerned with catching Jesus doing something wrong in their minds than rejoicing that this man had his hand healed. Think about this. He has this problem. He can probably go back to work. He can probably hold a child or a grandchild in a different way now because of it. His life is changed by the healing that Jesus has given him. And they're more concerned with the fact that Jesus did it on the Sabbath. They're more concerned with catching him doing something wrong. And so you know what this honestly exposes? It exposes that the hearts of the Pharisees have become withered. It's nothing compared to the hand of this man. Their hearts have withered. They do not have love. They do not understand the point of God's law because their hearts have become withered within them. They should be rejoicing that this man has come into contact with the one who can heal him. But they do not rejoice that Jesus heals the man. Instead, they're angry that Jesus shows compassion. He shows divine power to heal, and all they are concerned about is what they might do to him. And we read that they're filled with fury, and Luke exposes just how hard and withered their hearts are. And it gives us a foreshadowing of what's coming because we know the story. We know where the Gospel of Luke is going. They want to do harm to Jesus. They do not have the compassion that the commands of God are meant to lead them to. When Jesus asks, is it, is it right to do good or to do harm? They're wanting to do harm on the Sabbath, are they not? Their hearts are withered. Their hearts are hard. 
And as the passage closes out, we see that Luke wants us to know more about the details of those who are following Jesus. And we're not going to dwell on this too much. It's just that this is a part where we see some famous names. Jesus devoted himself to prayer and solitude, even in the midst of the busyness of his public ministry, even in the midst of the Pharisees being after him. As Amy pointed out, Jesus went by himself and he prayed. He spent time with God. He's committed to his relationship to the Father. We also read that he was praying over who these 12 would be in his inner circle. And so we know this list of names, and some of them we've seen in Luke so far. But I want to point out as we get to the end of the list, once again we see more foreshadowing of what's coming. We've seen the Pharisees are after Jesus, and when we get to the end of this list of the 12 disciples, we get some information that Judas Iscariot is going to betray Jesus. So as Luke is telling us this story of Jesus, he's giving us some tension. We see Jesus He is constantly healing. He is winning these battles with the Pharisees. But there's still a tension here, isn't there? Jesus, we've seen he is the promised Messiah. But we see here that his path is going to be a path of suffering. There are those who are looking to harm him. There is one who will betray him. He is going to bring salvation, but it is not going to come easy. It comes through the path of suffering. And so we leave from this passage in Luke today with this thought there hanging for us. What is going to happen to Jesus? But what truths can you and I take from what we've seen in this story today and apply it to our lives this coming week? And so as we think about these two stories that center around these activities of Jesus on the Sabbath, it's important that you and I remember that what we've seen here is that the Sabbath is a day of mercy. It's a day that God has mercifully set aside for us to rest from our labor and to rest in his mercy. It's a day where we come to hear that God in Christ has taken on the wrath of God for our sins, that he bore our sins, that he rose again from the dead and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. It's a day where we come to remember that mercy, to hear that story, And to rest in it. To rest in the salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who receives our praise. And God gives us these good gifts of Sabbath rest. And the story of his mercy. And he calls us to gather together with the people of God and to care for one another, to show mercy to one another. The actions of Jesus on the Sabbath day, where he heals the man with the withered hand, shows us that we are called to have compassion for others, and to show mercy and love to those around us who are in need. The compassion of Jesus, that our day of rest and our day of worship, the the, the compassion of Jesus shows us that our day of worship is not inherently a passive day, where we do nothing. Because we're called to visit the sick. We're called to care for those around us. We're called to welcome strangers into the people of God. We are called to love one another. It isn't just about being passive to keep a rule. 
It's about being active in loving one another. It's about being active in showing mercy to one another. And so we think about this. How can we show mercy? How can we show love? You see, because this activity of mercy, this activity of love, is not merely bound to the Christian Sabbath of the Lord's Day. This isn't something we just do on Sunday. We're called to live a life that shows mercy and blesses others each and every day of our lives. Why? Because God has first shown mercy to us in Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity to show love to others and to show them the rest that faith in Christ brings us because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is our ultimate source of rest. And so as we gather here and we, and we remember this story of God's mercy, may we be a sent out people, a Sabbath people, the people who follow the Lord of the Sabbath. May we go out from here and love one another. May we step into the world and love others and show mercy to others. May our worship here of the Lord of the Sabbath reflect out into our lives that God's glory might be seen in those that we love and serve. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast from Edgerton First Reformed. For more information on First Reformed, navigate to our website edgertonfrc.org or our Facebook page.